The scripture lesson is Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But I, if, you, if, le, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fortification, impurity, lasciviousness, idolatry, sorcery, enemites, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against each other, envying one another. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's Labor Day weekend. Here we are, we get an extra day for our weekend, a day off of work, and it's an interesting holiday that we celebrate. This day is a commemoration of the uh, American labor movement that happened uh, you know, roughly a century and a half ago-ish, something like that in which workers began demanding more fair compensation for their labor, and uh, this led to the development of labor laws in our nation. And fun fact, the United Methodist Church, our first social principles had to do with workers' rights and uh, the right to a fair wage of all workers. So the labor movement really is kind of ingrained in the United Methodist Church, but I digress. Today, as we have Labor Day upon us, I've been thinking a lot about some of the classes that I'm in. As you might recall, I'm taking classes at the University of South Alabama, pursuing my uh, degree in clinical mental health counseling, and some of the classes I'm in now have to do with uh, career, uh, career assessments and career counseling. And so it's had me thinking a lot about jobs and labor, careers, the way, the things that we work and everything. And one of our questions recently in class is, what is the purpose of a job? And you know, our class came up with all kinds of definitions all over the board, but uh, essentially what it boils down to is that a job, the purpose of it at least, is to produce to contribute in some way to society. And so our community, our city, our state, our very nation, our world all function because we have different people in different roles contributing something or producing something to ensure that there is some amount of healthy stability in these communities. These jobs are in place for the community, whether that be the microcosm that we live in here in uh, the community of Mobile, or whether that be the global community. All of this work is with the hope that our community, on whatever scale, will continue to thrive. That's why we work. But today, I'm left with the question in light of our scripture today, 
How much of that production, that contribution, is guided by the Holy Spirit? And how much is guided by our own desires? One of my very first jobs was uh, working at Publix. I was a bagger. I was the person who stood at the end of the cashier, the cash register line, and I would put everything in bags, and I would ask, you know, paper or plastic, and, and there would always be people telling me exactly how they wanted their things bagged, and so, you know, I learned pretty quickly that the heavy stuff goes on bottom, and the light stuff goes on top, and that you shouldn't put uh, tomatoes below uh, a can, you know, stuff like that. It was a very enlightening experience. I worked there through, uh, through most of high school, uh, and, and for whatever reason, uh, stayed a bagger the entire time I was working there. You know, it was, it was fine. Uh, part of my uh, job then was also to clean the bathrooms, to sweep the parking lot, yes, with a broom, sweep a parking lot, uh, to bring in buggies from the outside to, you know, all, all of these different things that, that, you know, nobody else wanted to do. That was kind of my role working at Publix. And so, you know, through all of this, we were taught from the very first moment of our orientation all the way through that it was important to be mindful of the customer. And so, effectively, kindness, patience, gentleness, these kinds of things that we hear in our scripture lesson today were part of my role. But still, my job, my uh, work there was still largely guided by my desire to be paid. My high school student trying to get a car, trying to, you know, make, impress my friends and impress a certain girl in my life and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I wanted to get paid. It, my work there was not guided by the Holy Spirit. Still, I did have the opportunity to produce something kind, to produce something that was Spirit-like, by asking people about their day, by having small conversations with people, by giving them a smile, by just treating them well. Since college, however, I have been working in different churches in different roles. Yeah, I, you know, moved pretty quickly through to a different perspective. I didn't want to work at Publix as a bagger forever, uh, but I did have a passion for the church, and so I began working in different roles. Uh, beginning as an intern at, our, at the 24-7 prayer and worship service that started up at my home church. Uh, worked as a youth intern at St. James UMC in Montgomery. Worked as a uh, music intern at River City Church in Montgomery. And then as a youth and missions and pastoral intern at First United Methodist Church, Montgomery. And then worked as the director of youth ministries at Buford United Methodist Church in Buford, Georgia and then became the student pastor of Union Point and Siloam United Methodist Churches in uh, Union Point and Siloam, Georgia. And, and so I, I got this experience, and all through each of these different positions at different churches, I kept learning the same lesson over and over again in this role. And that lesson was that the work we do and the things that we produce are only worth it if it makes a difference in the lives of those around us and the lives of those after us. The function of a job is to produce, to contribute to society, to effectively make a difference. For those of you who are uh, fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, like I am, I am reminded of what Tony Stark, played by Robert Downey Jr., said in the movie Iron Man 2 towards the beginning. He said, it's not about me, 
It's not about you either. It's about legacy. Legacy. The community that we are a part of is a living legacy of our contributions and our productions. And while I made mistakes along the way, I realized while working in the church that what I want the legacy of our community to leave behind is to be one that reflects the Spirit of God. So how do we get there? How do we get to a legacy that reflects the Spirit of God through our contributions? Well, we allow the Spirit to guide us to a worthwhile production. Think about what you do on a daily basis. You know, maybe this is a job that you go to every day. Maybe it's school. Maybe it's uh, going to the grocery store, something that you do on a daily basis. While we may not all have jobs, especially right now during the chaos of our economic system, while we may not all have jobs, we still every day have something to contribute to our community. Maybe that's something as simple as a smile or as complex as a movement for social change. Maybe that is making someone laugh or even giving to a charitable cause. My point is that so long as we have breath in our lungs, so long as we have uh, the very life infused within our bodies granted to us by God, we have the capacity to contribute something to society. However, the question remains, what is worth contributing or producing? And we have to ask that question beyond the view of ourselves and into the view of our community. See, one of the more important and powerful tools that God chooses to use in our world is the community. Through the things we produce, we strive to make our community better. Yet, there remain some things that we participate in that produce worse things for the community. Paul describes these as works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are those things which we produce when we only think of ourselves. Meanwhile, the fruit of the Spirit, as Paul describes it, is that which we produce when we have our community at heart. And this dichotomy here, these two ends of a spectrum, as Paul describes it, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to be talking a lot about today as it has come up in our passage so we've just recently come out of a sermon series on what it means to be the church by looking at God's upside-down kingdom. We went through different moments in which we evaluated how God's kingdom is far different from the kingdoms that we make for ourselves, and in turn, we use that to translate into what God might be calling the church to look like moving forward. And so what did we learn from that? Well. I hope that you were able to witness the same thing that I did, that through the church, God is focusing on the community, that from day one in Genesis to the very end of Revelation, God is thinking about the community, the people, and how the people interact with one another, and what comes at the heart of the people when they come together. And this kind of community is meant to be and only thrives by being guided by the Spirit. 
So we turn back to our passage for the day and recognize why all of this matters, from labor to the things we produce and contribute to the importance of community and how we interact with our community. Community in Galatians, the entire book, is hugely significant. The passages that surround our text today, the passages before in Galatians 5, you know, even 13 uh, through 15, and then afterwards, beginning all in chapter 6 and through the rest of the book, as well as all of the things that, uh, that are brought up and the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, they're all linked with our interpersonal interactions. They all have to do with being in healthy community together. So that's the context that we find our passage today in, uh, verses 16 through 26. It's in the context of the community. And, and as I said before, one of the more important and powerful tools that God chooses to use in the world is community. And guess what? We have an example of what that looks like whenever the community then has God on its heart. That is the church. So the church in Galatia is just forming. It's a, it's a newer church, and it's trying to figure out what it means to be a community together based on each person contributing to the community's flourishing. However, Early on in their formation, there comes an occasion for division to slip in and the potential for the community to crumble as the people begin to look towards their own self-interests or the people begin setting up their own divisions by saying, well, you aren't like us, so you aren't as important as us. Paul wrote the epistle to the Galatians, to the church in Galatia, as a response to some disagreements in the community, particularly concerning adherence to the law of Moses, right? So remember, the church is forming out, out of the Jewish tradition and by merging with Gentile perspectives. And so the Jewish tradition gets in there through the law of Moses. This is what they've held as important. And it made sense for new Christians to say, yes, we should continue with the law of Moses. But Paul has to swoop in there and say, no, no, it's, it's not about the law anymore. You see, the law was just a starting point. The law was a guide. We now have another guide, the Holy Spirit. And now these disagreements were beginning to split the community in half, leading some to believe that they were even more righteous than others, saying that if you don't do Christianity, if you aren't the church that looks like we are, then you're not quite up to par with what you should be. Paul, however, wrote to show them that the only real difference between those who were righteous and those who were not is shown by either the works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit. Paul here uses a common ethical debate model in our passage that uh, was common for the Greco-Roman society of the day that included an, an inventory, if you will, an inventory of vices and virtues, of wickedness and righteousness to solidify his argument. He begins giving examples to say, if you want to know who the righteous ones are, look at the fruit of the spirit that comes from them. If you want to know who the wicked are, those who aren't quite living up to righteousness, you will see them in the works of the flesh. And the results are a comparison between this, these desires of the flesh versus the desires of the spirit, which Paul says these are obvious, 
Like we know them. We know them intrinsically. Like you don't even have to spend time in the church to be able to know the difference between the, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. He also distinguishes these two groups with the words works versus fruits, which is distinct by the notion that works are things that we do, things that are natural for us, whereas fruit is that which is done through us, that which we cannot do alone. We, in Paul's eyes, are like the apple tree. While we may bear the apple, it is not possible without the water, air, and nutrients working through us to produce it. We have the capacity, but we need a little bit more outside work to produce the good fruit. Now, it's interesting that Paul uses the word fruit here in the singular version. In the Greek, uh, that word is singular, implying that the Spirit inherently produces all nine of these attributes, which we have listed in our text, through us if we live by the Spirit. It's one single fruit with nine different attributes, flavors, if you would like, uh, and, and it's one thing that comes through us as we live by the Spirit. And to what end does the Spirit produce this fruit through us? Well, it's so that by our contributions, by the fruit, the community may flourish. Remember, the community is Paul's aim here. The community is what God is focused on through all of Scripture. So, so rather than tearing each other apart which we do plenty of these days. Oh my goodness, if you ever turn on the news or open up social media or anything like that, you're bound to see someone tearing another person apart some way, somehow. Rather than tearing each other apart, we are called to pull together in love, in joy, peace, and patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We are called to pull together, to unite as one community rather than to divide as a bunch of individuals. We are called to be guided by the Spirit. So what might it look like for you personally to be guided by the Spirit? Well, we know the works of the flesh are, Paul describes fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, Enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. He says it should be obvious. We know the things that we do just out of our own selfishness, out of our own self-interest, out of the desire to make ourselves feel good or to, out of a desire to serve ourselves. But Paul says that those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That we have crucified the works of the flesh. Perhaps that's step one, putting to death the ways we obviously know are contrary to God, saying these don't belong in my life anymore because God is here, because the Spirit is working through me. But even then we are not to simply sit back and wait for the Spirit to take over and put good things through us. It's not the way it works. It's not something like we... We just, you know, get rid of all of these selfish things and then just wait for the Spirit to do its thing. Rather, we are called to actively participate in our own transformation, just as we are to participate in the transformation of our community. We are called to take an active role. The expression that Paul uses, be guided 
by the Spirit implies that the Spirit will lead us, but we still have to make the effort to follow. We have to be willing to follow where the Spirit leads. As Jesus said in Matthew 7, 17, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. In other words, the good fruit that we are called to produce in the Spirit cannot show itself if we are not leading and living good lives. There has to be some effort on our part. I'm reminded here even of the greatest commandment that Jesus reminds us of in in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is what a good life, a fruit-bearing life looks like because these attributes of the fruit of the Spirit are made perfect in love. We hear the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. To be guided by the Spirit means to embrace a lifestyle which reflects the Spirit, to walk the path that the Spirit walks, a path of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. While these are fruit that come through us by the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we still have to be willing to walk that path with the Spirit. In doing so, we lay a healthy foundation for the Spirit to produce that good fruit through us. And through this good fruit, we can contribute to our community being the best it can be for the glory of God. So my challenge for each of us this week and for subsequent for subsequent weeks, because for the next, four, uh, next three weeks after this, we will be talking about these fruit of the Spirit in turn. My challenge for each of us is to be guided by the Spirit, to be fruitful, and to see the world transformed. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about legacy. You see, it's not just one or a few called to this life. It's all of us. Without all of us, then our legacy falls short. So we begin with the church. Did you know the mission of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples for Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world? If we want to leave a legacy of a world transformed, then our faith has to step beyond the personal level. It has to reach out into the community. Because this is about the community reflecting the Spirit of God. This is about the flourishing of God's people. This is about being the best we can be and not settling for less. Every day we have the opportunity to contribute to society, to produce something worthwhile, to leave a legacy guided by the Spirit. And while some of us may have specific jobs in which we contribute to our community, I say, let us make it our job, our holy vocation to contribute to the community through the fruit of the Holy Spirit, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. If we choose to be guided by the Spirit rather than our own desires, then we will be contributing to our community's flourishing, and that's what it's all about, this legacy, this living legacy of our community. So. Let us produce according to the Spirit rather than ourselves. 
Let us desire what the Spirit desires rather than what the flesh desires. Let us be guided by the Spirit and crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Let us leave a legacy of a community that reflects the Spirit of God. And let us pray.